you really need to have your data in an automated fashion going from the primary to the secondary. And then if you're really paranoid like me, you go from secondary to offline. And those offline backups, the bad guys are gonna have a very difficult time getting in. Hi listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Backstage Business. Oh my goodness, I just got done recording this interview with Brian Gill of Gillware, and it was it was really awesome and eye-opening. I love hearing things that I don't really know about. <laughs> like and realize, oh my gosh, there's so many subjects that I am just naive and not smart in, but that's cool with me. So this is another episode very new into the COVID virus quarantining phase where most of us probably in the last few days have just started working from home. This is probably about the first week. So by the time you're listening to this, I'm not sure where we're at and I hope we're in a really, in a much stronger position. So some of these interviews happening at this time, we do talk about what's going on and and people's opinions on this, which is super eye-opening and fascinating to me. This conversation was a had a big focus on our our technology and our data and basically our IT security. And it's something that a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs, especially those in the startup phase, are not really thinking about because they're like, I don't have to think about this. I'm not a I'm not a big healthcare company, or I don't really have to worry about a data breach. There are things that you need to worry about trust me. And we are covering most of those things that you need to be aware of. We talk about ransomware, a ransomware event. Have you even heard of that? Do you know what that is? You should be aware of it. And it's, it's kind of crazy what's, what's going on and and what can happen if somebody does actually attack your data and your information. And a lot of us think we are so safe by just having things password protected or just in the cloud that nothing will happen. And I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you you are wrong. So we're going to talk about those things today. We're going to talk about how that can be protected. Sometimes it's really expensive, but we talk about ways where it's not at all. So please, please take some action today when when you hear this. And let me tell you a little bit more about our guest. Brian Gill is a, well, check this out. Just check out this combo. He's a computer scientist and an entrepreneur, which to me is just like crazy business because I, I always, at least the entrepreneurs that I have been surrounded by are the type of people that seek <laughs> computer scientists and people that are super savvy in that. And I think it's such a great combination. And that's why he was especially intriguing to talk to. He's also an angel investor, which brings me to something else that you should listen out for is towards the end of the interview, we talk about raising money. So if you are in the tech space, if you are a startup and you're in that position of raising money and raising venture capital for your business, you might feel kind of scary right now. You're like, who's going to want to invest in that? Well, we have a different take on that. And so pay attention to that towards the end. We know it's a hard thing to do. But listen up for that because there are ways around it or clever ways to think about it. Back to Brian, he he currently serves as chairman of Gilware, which provides cyber risk assessments, data recovery, incident response, and digital forensics services. All of that sounds like way, way 
fancy and way too smart for me, (laughs) but it's awesome. And Brian actually has a really great way of explaining all of this so that you just get it. He is also co-founder of Phoenix Nuclear Labs, and he served on P&L's board from inception to when it decided to spin off Shine Medical Technologies. Such a cool story behind this and how this came about, especially for those of you who have ideas, really cool, fancy ideas that you're either trying to raise capital for or just want to hear something cool about how it started. So listen out for that. And those two companies that I just mentioned actually have raised over $100 million of venture capital, and they employ hundreds of people. So lots of great stories here, especially how Brian got started. One of my favorites was how his parents actually had a really key role in helping him become a computer scientist before any of us probably even had computers in our house. So it's a great, great episode, a little bit different than some of my normal episodes, but so fascinating. And I really encourage you to listen and take these tips. I think you'll be extremely grateful that you did. There's especially one thing that he tells you to go out and get. You can just buy it on Amazon to protect you. And it's awesome. So listen out for that. Enjoy. I'm jumping right into this because we started having a conversation just before recording and you started saying some things that I thought were just so fascinating, especially where we are at today in terms of as we're recording this, we're going through the coronavirus and how it's affecting our our world. And you started seeing some really fascinating things, especially with people having to work from home. So first of all, welcome. And two, I want to, I want you to finish talking about what you're talking about because I want to get it recorded <laughs> for our listeners. Sure, sure. So Summer, thanks for having me. You're the best. What I was saying is that this is going to be a field day for the, essentially the cyber criminals, the people that are doing the ransomware all over the United States, because you know, at, at most companies, especially larger companies, you know, we've had these great walls, you know, or big firewalls in between all the most critical data and all the most critical business functions and the bad guys. And we are right now in the process, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of companies are pushing all these employees who have relied on these defenses into their homes. And Hopefully, 99.9% of them are going to be setting up encrypted channels through their VPNs to get into their private networks, and they're going to be two-factor authenticated. And all those computers that are in their homes have all the correct defenses in general, because they are behind the wall, right? And right. you know, hopefully, they have some kind of a of a firewall, a hardware firewall, and they're not just like plugged directly into their cable modem or whatever. But the reality is that a lot of these businesses are going to take shortcuts and they're not going to have that type of multi-factor hardware VPN all set up. And there's just going to be people going at home and just directly RDPing into their boxes with usernames and passwords. And a lot of that business critical data is going to be now in these people's homes on those desktops and laptops. And they're going to be accessing them, even in the cloud, they're going to be accessing from those machines at their homes at a much higher rate. So this is going to open up a large amount of opportunities for the bad guys to to sneak in. Plus, one of the ways that you can break into people's networks is with social engineering. 
Yeah, what's that? Yeah, it's where it's it's just an old fashioned con where you know right now there is a variant of it that is you know common with consumers where somehow they see an email or they click something or they see a weird ad or they see a pop up and it's basically like hey you know I'm Dell computer and I need to log on to your box and people click it and they dial the 800 number and then they're talking to somebody who they think works for Dell and they basically jump on their computer and encrypt everything and hold them ransom for a couple hundred dollars. That's been going on for years, maybe two or three years. That kind of scam has been common. But that same type of scam gets a lot easier when there's millions of Americans who are kind of expecting calls from IT people who they've never talked to before to help configure VPNs and help configure voice over IP phones, you know, so it doesn't take much to, to basically trick somebody into gaining access to their machines and then gaining access to the networks and running amok, you know. Right. So now the big question is, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, step one is panic. You know, I'm right there. With you. <laughs> you know, we've, we've all... You know, again, and, and they, all the cyber problems are definitely, they take a backseat to the health problems unless the cyber problems directly impact our ability to deal with the health problem. Right. Some of these healthcare providers and some of these government websites, when they get targeted, that's a real big problem that could legitimately cost people's lives. And on the incident response side of our company, it is not uncommon that our, our end client who got hacked, who had got the data breached in the first place, was some form of healthcare provider. It's one of the more common demographics that we assist. So they're already a target. And, you know, when they get impacted, it, it does indeed hurt their ability to do their jobs. But, you know, again, the, the, the COVID-19 is definitely the number one virus to be worried about at this moment. You know, if we can try to be deliberate as we roll out these systems and deal with a loss of productivity that's, that is the direct cost of kind of taking our time to make sure that all the security is in place as we spin up this remote workforce. What types of businesses are, would you say, will, will experience this threat the most? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, we see ransomware victims and data breach victims at every vertical, every marketplace, every type of company, every small company through, you know, we've had clients that had over 6,000 seats or, you know, employees that, that got impacted. So we see them at every level. The ones that are going to be heavily targeted in the next couple of weeks are going to be the healthcare providers. Yeah, for sure. The bad guys are super smart. They're, they're more savvy than a lot of people want to give them credit for. And they are, they are very good at what they do and they are very skilled and they are very strategic and they want to inflict the most financial damages as they can. And that means the stakes need to be the highest. And that is going to mean if they could somehow interrupt any of the mission critical health situations that are going on right now, they are going to have a higher probability of a rapid payment of that ransom to get that organization back up on their feet. They know that. So they're, that's, you know, if I was in their shoes, 
I would be thinking very much about going after these healthcare providers. And, and they already were, you know, they were already a huge target to begin with because the stakes are just kind of high in general all the time. And because mm-hmm. they have that protected healthcare information where data breaches are really damaging because they have so much personal information at stake there and so many social security numbers and, you know, all that type of incredibly sensitive information that they, they kind of just have. They are already a huge target. So now they're even slightly bigger one, I'd say. So a lot of our listeners here are small business owners. And some of them will just think, I don't have to worry about that. You know, nobody's coming after me. They know I can't pay that ransom, you know, or, or but are they still at risk? And what are some what are some tips that they can do right now that can really help keep them secure or at least improve? where they're at now, you know, really answering that question. Is this important? Is this important for me? Cause I guarantee you that, you know, some of our listeners are thinking that and they've already experienced, you know, a lot of us have experienced things just on a personal, you know, level with these type of incidents, you know, and hackers and things like revealing people revealing so much of their personal information and getting in trouble that way. But what about small businesses? Yeah. So most micro businesses, they're not a direct target, but but the cyber criminals, they fish with nets, okay? And what I mean by that is you might not be a specific target, but they're dragging the bottom of the ocean with a huge net. And if you don't have defenses against that particular type of net, you're going to get got. And, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a known glitch that comes out, maybe for an iPhone, and you get that security alert like, hey, you know, we need to patch our iPhone because there's some sort of really nasty exploit that lets somebody get into your personal information or take control of your smartphone. So once that news gets out there, they will be actively trying to exploit that window, that gap between when people patch the operating system or patch that piece of software. And when it's discovered and the bad guys have some malicious software to utilize that, that problem, there's a gap there and they will try to hit every IP address on the planet just hoping it's that type of computer with that type of operating system with that type of unpatched exploit that's possible, right? Right, right. So if you're sitting there rocking a Windows XP operating system and you just took it home and you plugged it into your cable modem and you don't have any firewall at all and that operating system, you know, hasn't been supported or patched by Microsoft in who knows how many years, then... Some bad guy, you know, while you're asleep, if you leave it on, could very well just hack into your box and be RDP'd onto it and copy all the data off. And, you know, if, if you're sitting there on your small businesses network waiting for them, they could be logging into that and encrypting all the small businesses information. So it's not like you were a direct target, but, you know, you were on the Internet and you had an unpatched piece of machinery that got hit, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I'm so concerned about how many of these hacks are going to be happening here over the next four weeks as we have these people in their homes without the right type of equipment, right? Right. So anyways, you know, so what can we all do about it? The number one way that you won't be forced to pay a ransom to get your own data back is is to make sure that you have an incredibly sound backup strategy. You know, too many Americans don't have anything going on with backup. 
Some of them, uh, once a month, I copy some files from A to B and think about it. <laughs> you know, and it's then so one true. Month, then one month turns into six, right? And Is that because of- they're relying on 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 the cloud? You know, because most people are doing things in you know, Google Docs or Dropbox, and everything's just. I wonder. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and, and we are certainly moving a lot of things to to a cloud. And that doesn't absolve the business owners and the board members right. from the disaster recovery plan. Because what might surprise people is that, again, I mentioned healthcare companies were often a target. To be more specific, sometimes the cloud service providers, that back end, these healthcare companies are the real target. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to infiltrate a network and, and hit one clinic, wouldn't it be better to infiltrate the network that contains all of the data for 53 clinics? Right. So, and again, every single person who works in those clinics, if they haven't thought long and hard about, hey, how does this cloud provider, how do they back their stuff up? Is there cloud snapshotting? Is it, can you always roll back to point in times? Is there an air gapped or offline backup on a, on a weekly or daily basis at midnight? Everything copies over to these systems over here and then they are taken off the network and they're not even on the internet. You know, some cloud service providers are very, very diligent with how they protect the data and, and some are not as such. And if you've never audited those backups and performed a mock restore of those systems, you don't really know if those backups are complete and you don't really know if those backups are going to be up to date. And you also don't really know how long it's going to take. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody gets hit and that cloud service provider has got to get 53 clinics up and running and it's got to pull them all off of physical tapes. Well, maybe that's going to take 72 hours to get the last client back up. And maybe that's unacceptable for you, right? So maybe if you knew that, you would have picked a different cloud service provider. Right. But you don't know that because you never had them do a mock restore for you. And you never really understood the process until you actually needed it. So you really need to have your data in an automated fashion going from the primary to the secondary. And then if you're really paranoid like me, at some point you go from secondary to offline. And those offline backups, the bad guys are going to have a very difficult time getting at. You know, so I'm never going to have to pay anybody to get my own data back. Now, if I got breached, I'm still going to be really sad about that. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm going to have a loss of productivity. I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do to my clients. Yeah. I might have to buy LifeLock protection for a thousand people for a couple months or years or decades because a lot of personal information got stolen, you know, so it certainly would be incredibly embarrassing and cause a big problem, but I wouldn't have to pay to get my own stuff back. But anyway, so, so backups are definitely big and don't be the entrepreneur or the CEO that just says, Oh, my stuff is up in this cloud. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Or no, I I think that's what's happening. Yeah. I have an MSP and I'm good. I have an IT guy and I'm sure he's good. <laughs> you know, so let's talk all- about this from a, because I, I, I love that you're seeing this. You know, you, let's talk about s- startups, for example. 
you know, they're probably, I'm just a startup. It doesn't matter. I mean, at what point, when is the time that you start going, I need to make sure that this is always something that's consistently being taken care of. And then how do they do that? Do they call, do they call your company? Do they call like, what type of person do they call? How do they get this? Cause I will tell you most entrepreneurs, this is way above their, their head, right? <laughs> this isn't something that they, they're, they're thinking about. You happen to be a computer scientist and entrepreneur, which I don't hear a lot of, do you know what I mean? Usually the entrepreneur hires the computer scientist. <laughs> right. So you have this incredible, you know, these, these really unique combination, you know, so you, you know this, but as a, you know, let's some of these people that are listening that are in startup mode are probably like, I don't know if I need to listen to this. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not going to have to worry. Yeah. What I would say is that first time you go raise a quarter of a million dollars of capital, right? Yeah. If, if you're in fundraising mode and you're not bootstrapping, or you've bootstrapped up to the point where some angel investor is is writing a check for $250,000 to really kind of get you a shove and a push. You you should probably earmark like 20 grand of that for IT. Right. Pretty much whatever industry you're in, I don't even really care. Yeah, okay. And, you know, a thousand bucks of that is going to get spent on like a hardware firewall for your VPN. And 1500 bucks of that can get earmarked for some sort of double redundant cloud backup system and 500 bucks of that could be for anti, you know, your antivirus solution. And, you know, a hundred bucks of it should be for something like a spam Titan to try to weed out the phishing emails uh, that, so they don't actually hit any real poison boxes. And then, you know, so there's a whole bunch of little things that you can do. One of the things you can do as well one of the biggest problems that causes a lot of hacks is, is user authentication. And to dumb that way down, it's passwords. Passwords suck. And humans are comp- very sucky at making passwords. <laughs> and that is true. Most, most humans, if, if they are going to tell you the truth, are going to really have three or four passwords or maybe some very minute adjustments to those same three or four dictionary words or dog names of their dog or names of their kid or name of the street they grew up on. And it is, and they have that same password for multiple services, right? And that is like, you're just begging to get hacks because if you get fished once, now that same bad guy can just RDP onto your box if you don't have that firewall with two factor in the way. You yeah. know, so so user authentication is is horrifying. So you can buy these things for like fifty bucks that do UTF or universal two factor for you. And and one company that makes them is called YubiKey. You can buy these YubiKeys on Amazon for like fifty bucks, and you could do that on day one in your company. And if you had mm-hmm. five employees, there's two hundred fifty bucks well spent. And they're now not using usernames and passwords to log into anything. And they're impossible to get fished as long as they're using that thing because that thing is not fooled by fake websites. So, awesome. you know what? So people don't quite understand what phishing is either. Like sometimes you'll get like an email from somebody you know that says, Hey, this is summer. Check out this design in Dropbox and there's a link to it and you click it. And then Dropbox is like, Hey, log in. And then maybe it reroutes you to the normal Dropbox, or maybe it just says file not found. And you're like, well, what, what just happened? Well, what just happened is a bad guy got your username and password because that wasn't really Dropbox. It was, it looked like Dropbox, but it was a different URL. 
Right. And he is not fooled by that. I know I get all the time emails from, you know, like PayPal, we need to, you know, confirm your password or, you you know, we shut this down or your Apple ID and all of that. And for me, you know, I, I, I always look at, you know, the sender and you can see the email address has nothing to do with Apple or whoever, or PayPal. If you look really close. Yeah. But the problem is sometimes the, sometimes like in that situation I described, somebody might have hacked your personal email and then they might have emailed a whole bunch of your clients in a similar Uh, language to how you normally send it with a link to the service that you normally send to them. So they're not going to be on. Well, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, I think a lot of us have that and hopefully a lot of us has become smart enough to go, well, who is this actually coming from? That's a bogus email address. But like you said, be mindful that they could be actually be in your account (laughs) and sending it directly from you. They can look really, really good and they can come from people that you really, really trust and sound totally normal. Right. So it's really a tricky problem. And, and that's why just kind of moving away from manually typing usernames and passwords and moving towards some of the new technology like, you know, YubiKey. And we're going to have a link to it as well. Yeah. It's Y-U-B-I-K-E-Y. Perfect. Um, Okay. You know, I rock a YubiKey Nano. They're super easy. You know, it, it is like you need to have this physical key with you everywhere, but that's the small price that we pay for the dramatically increased security. Hey guys, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Backstage Business Podcast. I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by The Draw Shop. At The Draw Shop, we make animated videos that just work. Did you know that most businesses are struggling to increase their sales simply because they don't stand out? At The Draw Shop, we use a scientifically proven formula to create animated videos that just work. With customers such as Uber, Twitter, Google, United Nations, Lockheed Martin, Netflix, and more, we know that creating messages that are impossible to misunderstand, it's critical to attracting more customers and keeping your audience engaged so that you can stand out as the best in your industry. Find out more information at thedrawshop.com. So to kind of roll it back, another kind of key moment to think about is when you buy your first business insurance. So your business is has gotten to a certain level where it's successful enough where you are going to go to a small business insurance professional and buy some insurance, right? At that same moment, A, that should set off some bells in your head like, oh, we should be doing something with our IT security. But B, you should be buying cyber insurance policies. So for another 10% or 15%, depending on what whatever marketplace you happen to be, whatever type of business you happen to have, for another 10% or 15%, you can get a cyber insurance policy where if your business ever does get hacked or data breached, your insurance company is going to send a company like Touch or Defense to your rescue within 24 hours, right? And if there is a $50,000 ransom payment that has to get made, if you have the appropriate type of policy, that payment will get made without coming out of your checking account, right? Right. Right. Because you had the foresight to pay that thousand bucks a year and with the specific cyber insurance policy. You know, if you have normal business insurance, but you don't have a cyber insurance policy, you're doing it wrong. You need to make a phone call. Totally agree. So, okay, let's ask this burning question now. 
how is it that, and I know you're asked this a ton, <laughs> how is it that government agencies are not having more success catching these, these criminals? Well, I, I think it's the same reason we're not having as much success with COVID-19 as normal. It's, you know, our, our government has been a little dysfunctional lately. And this type of spending a lot of money to protect is not nearly as fun, I guess, as just spending avalanches of money or watching the stock market drop 10 trillion because we could have spent a billion to prevent a lot of it, right? I mean, it's it's just the thing we're not that great at right now in this moment in time with our country. Now, the bad guys are, are tricky as heck and they're super smart. And the way that we pay them their ransoms is through anonymous cryptocurrency, which has kind of been designed from the ground up to make it really hard to track where these payments are going. Mm-hmm. So there's incredible challenges with trying to actually catch them. It's much easier to work hard on prevention, but it's very difficult to convince the C-level executives at companies to spend that money on prevention. And they're much more likely to just get burned all the way and have to pay these huge ransoms. And it's like, we could have as a country, we could have spent like $2 billion like a year ago and had a stockpile of those masks that every doctor needs right now. And we could have had a strategic pile of masks, just like we have the strategic oil reserve. And it would have cost nothing in comparison to what it's costing now, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of lives, in terms of cost. You know, we could have looked at MERS and we could have looked at SARS and we could have listened to some of the guys that have been talking about this for the last 10 years. And we could have said, you know what, you know, let's finish off that vaccine for SARS or MERS or whichever one it was where they pretty much had a vaccine, but they just kind of stopped short because it kind of petered out. You know what, let's just let's just blow a couple billion dollars and just finish that vaccine off. And maybe we'll we'll learn something that would have (laughs) brought us some knowledge and some production techniques, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to spend money on these types of programs because they require a lot of education to both the politicians and to their populace who they're accountable to. And it's like, what are we spending all that money on? You know, like, I don't need any masks, you know, or it's, you know, the government gets a bad rap sometimes, but this is one of those areas, both with COVID, obviously, but like all of these city governments that are all over the place and county governments, they're a huge target for the bad guys as well. And they don't have the budgets to properly defend themselves. You know, if, if you're in a, a county in Northern Wisconsin with 12 employees for the whole county government, right? You don't have the budget to hire us. You don't have the budget to do anything. No one's going to be buying $20,000 with the hardware to protect you. And you're going to get, you're going to get targeted. And you have a lot of sensitive information from everybody in your state or everybody in your place. So, you know, this is another place where the federal government, we should be taking 10 or $20 billion, giving it to the federal government and saying, listen, we are going to hire a few thousand security professionals whose job it is, is to get assigned boots on the ground to go to every municipality in Minnesota and help them out. <laughs> yeah. You know, but there, but none of it, I mean, and some of this is happening, but just not nearly fast enough because there's a, a big drought of expertise and then b a big drought of funding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much. Jay. I, what was so great about, about us, about this whole 
conversation and interview is that um, we're talking about things that I don't think I've ever had this topic on, on my podcast before. So I appreciate it so much. I usually intro and, you know, want you to tell your, your story. And so I'm doing it backwards now. You're obviously brilliant and you've shared so much that I think a lot of us may have been naive to, but can you tell us, you know, how you started your company? What was, what was your journey and, and really becoming a computer scientist and being, you know, so fascinated with this and, and coming up with solutions. What was that journey like for you? Yeah. I mean, I was a, a nerdy little kid, an introvert, and uh, I was into computers pretty early. My parents bought me a computer when I was a young man, which was strange because that was in the early 80s and people didn't really have computers in their houses and my parents couldn't afford it. But for some reason, they had a moment of a, you know, they had one of those parental moments where they, I think they understood that it would be important for me and give me a creative outlet. So I started programming, you know, very early in my life, I think in third or fourth grade, I was writing little computer programs in my basement. So it was pretty, pretty obvious career path to take. I've always been fascinating, but fascinated by money. My first job out of school wasn't with like a, a tech startup, but with a basically a financial services firm because I was really fascinated by the stock market and IPOs and all that. And when I graduated, I graduated in like 98, kind of near the first tech bubble that was blooming. So I, I did end up going out to California and worked at a couple of startups and had a lot of fun and I worked really hard and I learned a lot, but they all exploded pretty much because that's the whole, the you know, the stock market melted down in a similar way to it. It's melting down this week. So yeah. when this happens, you know, the venture capital community kind of dries up and, you know, if this particular wave of bad news continues into a recession or, or gosh forbid, the D word, you know, it's going to be a really bad time to be an entrepreneur because people are not going to be parting ways with a lot of this investment capital and the amount of equity that they're going to demand is going to be different <laughs> than, than it is two weeks ago. So, I mean, hopefully I'm wrong and, and hopefully that doesn't happen. Well, but- yeah. And I hope, you know, I think for, for a lot of entrepreneurs, I think a lot of it really is mindset and how, what you're going to focus on, you know, and, and we've talked about this a lot to our audiences and communities. It is going to be challenging, you know, first of all, being an entrepreneur alone, as you know, is, is a freaking challenge. (laughs) It's not easy, but it's what we signed up for and it's fun. And it's so rewarding, especially when you, when you have those, those wins and, yeah, it is. It is going to be challenging. So it more than ever now, it's about, you know, protecting what we do have and how can we, how can we show up better, bring more value and really do what we're good at instead of, instead of hiding out, you know? Yeah. I mean, these shakeups, historically speaking, they're good. You know, these, these capital markets and these angel investment markets and venture capital markets, they get kind of overblown and you know, they start putting tens of billions of dollars into these ideas that quite frankly, just haven't been thought through all the way. And then the market has this massive correction and the ship hits the rocks. Yeah. And, and then it gets dark for a little bit, but what comes out of that darkness, those first seeds that come out of that dark period are usually 
you know, unicorns historically. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it it really is. But as an, as a, as somebody who's trying to raise capital, it's always hard to raise capital and it's always hard to get it at the, I think you always pretty much are holding your nose like, oh man, like I think it's worth more than this, but fine. That's kind of the nature of, of how those deals are. You're always like, man, like, is this really the best we can do? But you have to get out of fundraising mode and get into building your products and services. Yes. So absolutely. Eventually you've got to hit that. You've just got to take the money and go and you got to take it at the best rate you can get it. And that's going to be more challenging now, possibly. And, but anyways, my journey, I came back to Wisconsin because I had no reason to be out in California anymore because the valley was melted down. And a good friend of mine who was a VC told me it's going to be seven years before this picks back up again. So I'm like, well, you know, I've got no reason to pay like $3,000 a month for a apartment. So I took my tail between my legs, came back to Wisconsin and started a, a couple companies. The first company we started was Gilware Inc. with my younger brother, Tyler, who who I accidentally convinced to drop out of school to start it with me. It was actually his idea of the company, but it was also his idea to drop out of school. But that was a fun time to get going. And with my main business partner is a brilliant, an actual brilliant person. Appreciate what you said earlier, but I have a, one of my buddies is an actual brilliant person. He's a PhD nuclear physicist. His name is Greg Pfeiffer. And we started Gilware together and we, it was a small tech services business to help people out of data disasters, if that doesn't sound familiar. Um, <laughs> yeah. So pretty much we've been doing kind of IT firefighting for you know a while now, uh, about 17 years. The types of fires have changed, but you know we're still just kind of helping people out of these crises and, and also working to kind of prevent those crises in the first place. But about four years in, we had founded two other companies with our little partnership, which had expanded a little bit, one of which was called Gilware Data Services, which was a cloud backup platform. So basically, we were helping people out of the data loss situations. And then we were selling them the preventative medicine after we had established that relationship. Okay. And that company got acquired by a company out of Draper, Utah called StorageCraft. They're a, a large competitor in the cloud services space, or they, they were a competitor and then they bought us. And that happened in 2016. The other company we started kind of back in that 2006 time period was called Phoenix Nuclear Labs, which is now just called Phoenix, Wisconsin. And that genius guy I was telling you about, Greg Pfeiffer, invented a fusion linear accelerator, which is a device that he can plug into the wall that will spit a ray of neutrons at a similar flux as a nuclear reactor. Why you would want to do this, I had no idea at the time, but it sounded cool. <laughs> so, so he built it, and it turns out it has all kinds of crazy good uses. They are using it right now in a little, little town called Fitchburg, Wisconsin, to perform neutron radiography. So you can, what a lot of people don't know is the turbine blades on aircraft, like commercial aircraft that we used to fly in until a couple of days ago, they are hollow. and they basically are air-cooled. There's air that flows through them. And if that air doesn't flow through them, they melt and then the plane crashes probably. So it's kind of a big deal when one of those things happens. So they actually, up until recently, had to ship those 
turbines to nuclear reactors to do this neutron radiography to make sure that there was no little tiny pieces of ceramic or anything left over in the manufacturing process that was going to hinder that airflow. It's very similar to x-rays because, you know, like if you take, if I took one of my kids into the doctor because I thought he swallowed a penny and they stick him with an x-ray machine, you can see the penny. Boom, there it is, right? Because it's a high density thing inside his low density stomach, right? Right, right. That's what what x-rays are good at. But if I wanted to see behind that penny, I'm going to have a really bad time. But what NRA is good for is seeing low-density objects behind high-density objects because they, they don't interfere with the electron cloud. The neutrons impact the nucleuses. So it's, the physics is a little bit lost on me, but that's why Greg is around. But that's one thing they're used for. They're also using them in Janesville, Wisconsin, to make nuclear medicine. So one of the more common nuclear medicines is called Molly or technetium 99. And it's utilized if I, they thought maybe I had some, some bone cancer or they thought I was having a heart attack. They would basically shoot me with some of this stuff. And then I'm a little bit radioactive for a while. Enough radioactive where a cardiologist can see my heart beating and they can see blockages, but not so radioactive that I'm going to die or kill other people or have to be sequestered for two months as I decrease in radioactivity. So it gives you kind of the perfect amount of radiation so that they can see what they're trying to do, but then not kill you. And all of this crap is made in these big nuclear reactors, or it was, until the nuclear reactors went offline and we had some supply shortages. So it turns out you could take Greg's crazy rabine and use it to make the same medicine. Wow. So they're, Yeah, so it's a unicorn. It's called Shine Medical Technologies. It's raised at this point about 350 or 400 million dollars of venture capital. It will be making medicine here, I think. I've heard it's going to be making medicine within a year or two. They've made trace amounts of it just to prove that the science works, but they have to build a first of its kind nuclear facility in Janesville first. And and they've been pouring concrete on that for about three months. So I, again, I haven't been, I was on the, I was a co-founder of Phoenix, which kind of turned into Shine or it spun off shine. And I was on the board of Phoenix for a while and I've consulted here and there a little bit, but you know, I'm not taking any credit for any of that work. That's pretty much all Greg Pfeiffer and Ross Riddell and his team. Those guys are, those guys are crazy entrepreneurs that a lot of people are going to know those names in like five years. What a great, great story. I love this. This is, this is so cool. Especially those who are in that process of, which I know several people just personally in that, you know, raising money for something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You can, it, obviously it can be, it can be done, but it, yeah. It can be done. You know, there's a lot of black guys. And I think if you look back at all these companies, you would see that almost all of them had moments where they were like, Oh shit, are we going to fold? Is this yeah. going to be it? Are we going to make well, a payroll? Like we all. Oh yeah, a- Absolutely. Stuff. And I would say, you know, to those who may be thinking, oh, I'm just not even going to bother trying to raise money at this time. I mean, really think about there's still there still are industries and businesses that are actually thriving during these times. And there are people that still have, you know, their millions and billions of of dollars. And sometimes the timing is right. And like you said, what happens is after this tough time is when the unicorn comes. So, you know, what 
those people are thinking, you know, knowing that we will come out of this. Is it going to be hard going through it? Potentially. Is it going to take a long time? Potentially. We don't know. We don't know. We're just going to go through it. But there are. And you have to, you know, going to a pitch and trying to convince a bunch of people to open up their checkbooks, it's not something that any of us came out of the womb. With that exactly. <laughs> right. And exactly. the first the first 10 times I did it were a nightmare. You know, I mean, uh, I wouldn't have given me any money the first 10 times. You know, it's you have to go through to those pitches and you have to listen to that feedback and you have to dissect if that feedback is good because it usually is. And you have to take it to heart and maybe you have to retool your messaging or retool your whole concept to some extent, right? But you you don't get that feedback loop. You don't get better at it by not trying. And to your point, a lot of people have pulled a lot of money out of the stock market in the last two weeks. And it's sitting in checking accounts. And there are some savvy entrepreneur type people and some savvy investor type people that are going to look hard right now at saying, okay, you know, let me go back to those deals that I've seen the last three months. And I'm going to go put the screws to some of these guys because I know they're going to have a hard time. You know, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but again, as times get tough, the savviest of VCs get predatory. Right. Right. And it's not like they're going to leave all their money in checking accounts. They're not. It's going to go somewhere. Absolutely. It's just how much equity are you going to have to to give there's, up to get some of that juice? There's that's a whole that's a whole great uh, episode is how to how to pitch right, <laughs> especially oh, sure. during these times. We're running out of time here, but this was this was so awesome. I loved how the conversation flowed towards the end there because I know that's also top of mind for people. Brian, I appreciate this so much. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I think all of this is so relevant and and important right now, today. It always is, but especially right now. Where can people contact you, find out more information? Where can I send them? Yeah, so LinkedIn is kind of my social media of choice. So if you just kind of Google for Brian Gill, Gillware, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'll connect with just about anybody. If you have any questions about security or whatever, throw them my way. I am always happy to, to dole out some, some free advice. And if you're, you know, ever, if you ever lose a bunch of data because of natural causes, you had a server start dying or a flood or a fire or a laptop hard drive starts clicking or you dropped your phone in the ocean, those services can happen at gillware.com, G-I-L-L-W-A-R-E. And if you're a mid-sized company, especially a mid-sized company that is possibly hearing from one of your largest customers that you need to improve your security, because a lot of large enterprises are starting to dictate to their vendors different levels of security. And having been regulated by the federal government, there's been a lot of federal government changes to regulations. And a lot of those regulations are starting to flow from large companies down to their mid-sized suppliers. And Tetra Defense, T-E-T-R-A, defense.com, that company is coming out with all kinds of products that are geared towards the mid-sized company getting a handle on all this 
regulatory work, but then also just getting a handle on your IT security in general. Right. Okay. Awesome. And we'll have links to all of that in our show notes. Brian, this is awesome. Thank you so much for, for talking with me today and wish, wish you luck during this time. <laughs> yeah, you too, Summer. Stay safe. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, it's we're kind of in a slight dark period here, and we all have a lot of work to do and to keep our families and businesses safe from all kinds of crap that's going around. But we will get through it. We will. I appreciate your show. You're a great host. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much.